You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is Fiora Mensch. Fiora is the founder of Truly Chosen, which is a dating and relationship consulting agency, and she works with mission-driven women, women who are CEOs, entrepreneurs, and public figures, and they're focused on creating a profound impact on humanity, which is very cool. Um, and while these women are kicking ass in their professional lives, oftentimes there is a missing piece in the romance part of their lives. And that's where Theora comes in. She spent upwards of $275,000 on her own training so that she walks her talk both personally and professionally. Um, she has combined a variety of modalities, including neuroscience, relational psychology, and the energetics of intimacy with easy to implement actionable practices. And that dynamic I find very fascinating. And it's one of the reasons why I invited Theora onto the call uh, or onto the podcast today. So with that, let's dive into it. Here I am with Theora Mensch. All right, Theora Mensch, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm excited we have, to be here. Yeah, we have a very, um, very eccentric and electric topic to discuss today. And that's relationships, of course, one of my favorite conversation topics. Um, you are quite the relationship expert. So on the, that's what they say on the streets anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the, the digital streets. The digital streets. Um, but uh, welcome to the call. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. And uh, we have, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting things happening right now, obviously in the world, and it's deeply affecting and impacting relationships. So I definitely want to get into that with you. But um, for those that don't know who you are, if you could just explain a little bit about who you are, what you do and, and who you help. Yeah, totally. So obviously my name is Theora Mensch. There's a lot of vowels in there. So people sometimes have difficulty like pronouncing it. Um, but yeah, so what I work with is particularly executives and public figures who um, have extraordinary lives that they've spent um, you know, years building and they feel like the last thing missing is really love or potentially they're in a relationship, but um, it's not, it's not as like deep or intimate as they would like. So um, I would say like my specialty is very much relationship mastery and creating powerful, purposeful, passionate partnerships. Mm. I love that. So uh, there is, it seems to be, and we sort of are coming from a similar community um, that there is a chasm, a gigantic grand, grand Canyon size chasm between the masculine and feminine. It seems like in our society today, why do you think that is? Well, before you, before we, I would love to hear a little bit more about like what your experience of the chasm is. Cause I don't know if I immediately agree with you. Oh, Ooh, good. Okay. Um, I, it, it's been my, in, in my experience, I've seen a lot <laughs> of um, what we would call depolarization. So a lot of men that are sort of not really connected to their their essence in, in terms of their masculinity, their sense of purpose, their sense of vision, their sense of drive. Um, and a lot of women who are more in that space, more in a masculine energy. And so there's a lot of, I see in, in my anecdotal experience, a lot of quote unquote depolarized relationships. Yeah. Women who are in their masculine energy, men who are in their supportive, nurturing, feminine energy, and there's no spark, there's no uh, excitement in the relationship, there's no passion, and it's a very, you know, day-to-day -day working relationship. So yeah. I, see, I see that as a pretty big chasm. I also see a lot of um, society's problems being ultimately relationship-based. If you look at a lot of crime statistics, if you look at a lot 
of uh, I think where we are politically, not that we want to go into that necessarily, but um, I, at least I can look at all those things and point them back to shitty relationships, um, yeah. poor relationships between parents and children. And, and in a lot of cases, um, father and children, a lot of, a lot of these things we could point to as an absence of a father figure or, or a solid father figure. There seems to be a very uh, vacant masculine presence in most people's lives today. At least that's been in my experience. Yeah. Okay, cool. <clears throat> yeah. I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, and I think that, I think it's like, I, I, I think you said it. Um, I don't know if I see it so much as like between genders as it is like, we just like relating is a skill mm. and most of our education has been exclusively through osmosis, right? Our family of origin, which you mentioned, like maybe like the lack of a father figure or, um, or maybe like, uh, like energetic, like energetically reversed roles. <clears throat> but like most people are really normalized to dysfunctional relationships because of our families of origin, right? Because um, mm -hmm. they grew up in dysfunctional families who grew up in dysfunctional families right. you know, all the way down. Um, and so our primary education about like how to relate, how to communicate, how to, um, respond to other human beings comes from our family of origin or, uh, and well, and, um, a lot of the media that we've consumed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of like conventional relationship wisdom was learned through sitcoms, movies. And if you, if you kind of peel back the entertainment component, all of those relationships in order to move the story along are highly dramatic and involve a lot of deception and withholding truth and not communicating healthily. Mm. Um, and then the, I would say like the third pillar, like the third thing that informs our relationship education is our own relational traumas. So, I mean, like you, you and I both done Tony Robbins, right? Like when you're at an event and it, and someone like has this like deep, deep trauma, they're like, yeah, I was seven and this girl didn't like me or she made fun of me in the class line. And that, and that like trauma, that seven-year-old, that that seven-year-old like integrated has run their life for decades. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have these like three very, um, not in like a judgmental way, but just like unintelligent, right? Like unintentional teachers, which is our family of origin, media, and our own traumas that for the most part have shaped the infrastructure of the way that we create relationships. Um, and, and so all of us have basically like I, my friend, Alexander James, he's a, a relationship coach for gay men. He, he said it so clearly. He said, all, most of us have a kindergarten level of education around healthy relationships. And we're mm -hmm. all expecting master's quality partnership. Mm -hmm. right? <laughs> right. And people that's don't That's the think, chasm. That's it right that's there. The that's the chasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> totally. So I think I, I, I just came like from a site. Yeah, I think. Um, and, and I, and I think one of my missions, and I think you and I are aligned on this, is a big part of the work I do is wanting to destigmatize this idea that um, that like everybody needs education around relationships. It's incredibly difficult to be a powerful leader in your company when you don't understand the dynamics of relationship. And like you said, masculine feminine is one of the is one of the not modalities, but um, frameworks or yeah, one of the frameworks, right? Yeah. There's also love languages. There, there's attachment styles. There's like different. Um, there's like tons of research about like group dynamics and leadership dynamics and hierarchical versus associative. You know what I mean? Um, and is understanding that 
um, yeah, like a, a, either not knowing that you can be educated in it or somehow thinking that it's wrong or you should already know this stuff is like, it's just like the Achilles heel for leaders and mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and in our family dynamics and in our social circles. And yeah, so I totally feel you on that. Yeah. Um, I think what might be helpful is to, uh, one of the things that I feel is missing in that regard is what does the ideal relationship look like? Now, obviously we all have our different perspectives and, and desires and et cetera, et cetera, but, but we don't seem to have a clear sense of what the roles are, what, you know, and, and the roles have changed so much over the last several decades that, 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 vision has become very muddled and or there is no real clear vision. And so I feel like as a society, we're, we're all trying to find this out on our own. And we're, it's like the blind leading the blind and we're not able to, we, we don't even know where we're going. What does that even look like? How do you identify that? How do you, um, can you give us a vision of what you feel is the ideal relationship? Oh, I wish I, wish I was like, it looks like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like step one with any, any person that I ever work with is doing some kind of vision creation because, and maybe you've discovered this in your work as well, is that people really actually aren't clear. So you'll say, so like, what do you want? And they'll say something flippant, like somebody who's emotionally available and has a good sense of humor. Right. And like, that's actually how clear they are. And if you don't know your destination, it is virtually impossible to get there, yes. let alone plot a course, let alone be intelligent, let alone pick the most efficient route, right? So I think one of the things is, is going back even before, like what does the ideal relationship look like? And going inward and it's like, if I gave myself permission to want what I really want, what do I want? Mm-hmm. Unedited by what I think is available to me. Yes. So I think it's that editing, right? It's like, well, like, can I want to be a stay at home mom? Or is that like bad? You know, it's like, honey, girl, if you, if you want that, you go for that, you know, or be a stay at home dad. Right. Um, so I think, I think that like, there's a lot of through lines that are common, but the biggest thing is like really honoring that, like what you want is oftentimes really special to you. Um, and I've done so many of these sort of like intake interviews that like one woman wants to split time between, uh, you know, like this place and that place. And then, um, and that's like her dream life. And she thinks that's too much. And then another woman wants to be, you know, she's 50 and she wants to get remarried. And she's like, is that too much? Is that weird that I want to get married? You know, like everybody thinks that what they want is too much. Um, and so I would say like the ideal relationship for you is the one that you're really honest about the fact that you want it. Um, and like, and to circle back a little bit to the masculine feminine, right? Like, yeah, we want polarity, right? That's where the passion comes from. But it doesn't necessarily serve a relationship to be polarized all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's important for like you and me to both like bring our masculine intellects together to, I mean, you, you and I aren't in a relationship, but for the yeah. sake of this example, <laughs> right? Like bring our masculine minds together and like pitch and catch about our business, right? right? You have a business, I have a business. And like, I'm a badass entrepreneur and you're a badass entrepreneur. That's great. But it's like, are you doing it in, intentionally or are you in reactivity to one another? Mm-hmm. So I think so much of what you and I do is teaching people that there are these predictable dynamics that are at play in your relationship, whether you want them to be or not. And then learning how to really speak those languages with fluency that so you, so you can be agile and really serve the partnership to be the experience and connection and relationship that you actually want. Right. 
Yeah. What, what would you say is the, the biggest um, hang up that a lot of the women that come to you have? What are they missing? In their lives? Yeah. What's the, what's the number one thing that they, that, that, that they don't see that is holding them back from having that type of mm. deep relationship? Yeah. The, the experiences are, uh, don't feel like they meet men on their level. Um, they're, they're so, they're so self-sufficient that like they'll, there's a, that's like, well, like I don't need a man for rent and travel and all these things. Right. right. Um, because historically, so I, I read an article not too, about six months ago by this marriage historian where it said as a primary driver for marriage, love was not commonly accepted until the 1970s. Like in the 1950s, like you didn't marry for love, right? You married for resource acquisition and basically like social, social and political alliances, right? Like they were basically business partnerships to a certain degree of assets. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the seventies. That's not that fucking long ago. Oh, can I swear? I'll drop them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, that's not that long ago, right? We're Tony Robbins, uh, you know, alumni. That's I know, I know. I know, but he like, he like, you know, right away. He gets everybody on board. Um, so, so, um, and so is, what was I talking about? Love as a primary driver. Yes. That not until the seventies was love an actual ingredient in a desirable, desired in a relationship. Yeah. And now we, well, it was desired, but it was not a socially accepted driver, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you got married for, I don't know, you ever, did you ever see the movie Revolutionary Road with Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Kate Winslet? Uh, I have not. Okay. Well, anyway, they get married because they love each other and everybody thinks they're so weird and bohemian. And like, how's that working? You know what I mean? And like, yeah. in the end, it's super tragic. You're like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Wait, wasn't, wasn't she, wasn't she, the, who was the actress in Titanic? Yeah, it was the, the two of them. The two of them again. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right. So, so creating love based, creating marriages and relationships based on a foundation of love isn't something like, this is something that's actually very, very new for humans. At least, at least as far as like treated as a norm. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that, but I feel like that's a really great thing for people to hear. <laughs> um, it is a great thing for people to hear. Um, I, I was asking you sort of what was the biggest hangup uh, of a lot of these women. Oh, right. And they were saying they don't, they don't need a man, right? And yes. so as I understand like that psychology of like needing somebody for a resource acquisition is like still running. That's still a program that was inherited from like their mothers, right? Like they needed... I mean, my, I remember my grandmother, my grandfather, she wanted to be a doctor. My grandfather said no. And it was like, okay, I guess I can't be a doctor. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was not that long ago. That was two yeah. generations ago. So, mm-hmm. um, so like so, sometimes the up- upgraded with them is like, no, you don't need them for rent and to be able to travel where you want to travel. But like, you do need a man for touch and for intimacy and to feel fully seen and known and safe in like with the masculine. Right. Right. Um, which are all things that like, that like they yearn for. So, so those are some of the programs is like, is like this, it's a false scarcity. Right. Um, like, and I'm sure that men experience this. Well, I know that men cause I've done market research with men as well, but they both, everyone's like, I don't feel like I meet people on my level. And it's like, I'm like, cause you're looking in all the wrong places. Mm. There's actually now more than ever a critical mass building, I think, of um, 
like spiritually inquisitive, entrepreneurial, sa entrepreneurially savvy, emotionally intelligent, energetically um, capable people seeking partnership with one another. But what they're doing is they're actually like dropping out of consciousness and dropping into the old adages and the old conventional dating wisdom, which is not intelligently designed to create the type of relationship they want. Let, it's unintelligently designed. Let's go a little deeper with that. What do you like specifically? What does that look like and sound like? Oh, okay. So hmm, people will hear me talk about this all the time. So the, the, like, so like, like the dating advice that people hear all the fricking time is love finds you when you're not looking for it. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that? I have heard that. Yes. A million times. <laughs> right. And if you think about it, imagine, let's just take anything else that you might want to create in your life, like money. It was like, yeah, money finds you when you're not looking for it. It's like, what? Success yeah. finds you when you're not looking for it. Quality, right? Uh, health finds you when you're not looking for it. It's like nothing finds you when you're neglecting it. Yes. It's a misdiagnosis. So the reason that's happened for people where they like stop looking for love is usually because they've redirected their energy into themselves, right? They've been like, you know what? I'm going to table this whole dating thing and I'm going to learn the guitar and I'm going to take that scuba diving certification and I'm going to go volunteer in Tanzania. Oh, and that's where I met the love of my, well, like, yeah, of course, right? Love is drawn to you being your fully expressed self. Yes. But it's not because you stopped looking for love that it found you. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Like 100%. The, the fastest way to kill something is to neglect it. Another one, dating is a numbers game. Dating is not a numbers game. If you play dating like a numbers game, that's the experience you're going to have, right? But that's also like saying the only way to market is to cold traffic, right? You just got to get as many leads as possible. And like, maybe like one of them will be your ideal client. Or you could get really clear on who your ideal client is and market intelligently and effectively to your ideal client. And then you really only need to connect with 10 people. Mm -hmm. And then one of them might be your, you know, quote whale. I hope people are getting the metaphor here. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're forever person. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, you coach men as well. What do you, what do you see as the biggest difference between how men and women approach relationships besides some of the obvious, or though maybe those things run deep in ways that are not so obvious? I think that um, the programming running in the background is actually pretty identical. There's the behaviors manifest a little bit differently. So well, let's take communication, for example, mm -hmm. right? I was just one of my clients, I was just talking to him. He's like, well, if a girl likes me, she'll talk to me, right? I was like, <laughs> oh, honey, no. Yeah, uh, we got to start it. <laughs> I was like, we, if we like you, most women, not some women have like learned the secret weapon, right? But usually if we like you, we will avoid all eye contact at all costs because we don't want to get caught. Mm. <laughs> Which like, so I literally like assign homework to my, to my clients who are women where I'm like, if you're attracted to somebody cat, like when you catch eyes, hold his gaze for the time it takes you to think, I would love for you to come over and talk to me mm. and then go about your business. Right. Because here's the thing is like energetically aware, emotionally intelligent men, women, for the most part, we walk around with a boundary. If that's like, no dude, I don't want you to hit on me. I'm just trying to get my coffee. Like, can you leave me alone? Right. But then we don't realize that we're walking around with those. And we're like, man, like, why don't men ever approach me? Why don't men ever hit on me? And it's like, mm -hmm. because respectful men can feel your boundaries and they're not going to violate them. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So it's on us to like bring, you know, like bring the ramparts down and like nose up out of our phone and be engaging with the environment around us. Trusting like, girl, like we're so practiced at those energetic boundaries. Like we can throw them up so fast. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you always got them on call, but like your ability to send the invitation, right. And like do like a beautiful inviting smile and eye contact tells a man the caliber of man that these women want to be with like yes your attention is welcome and i'd love for you to come over yes it works magically it's beautiful yeah yeah who knew just creating a creating an opening gives a guy the you're 100% right and and you know what's devastating in the masculine experience is and i you know i've talked to so many guys that their biggest fear is rejection and it's really difficult to get over that and um, the masculine experience the masculine energy is very very focused, very, this is my objective. This is my, you know, what I'm seeking. And so for a woman and correct me if I'm wrong, but with, with a feminine energy being open and connected, um, rejection isn't, you're getting, you're getting probably constant attention. And so maybe rejection by a guy that is, is somebody that you're interested in is maybe not as devastating as for a guy where he's zeroed in on, that's the woman I'd love to talk to, get to know a little bit better or whatever. And so if I get rejected by her, it's, it feels heavier. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I think that like women, it's like, a, it's a different, it's a different, it's, it's a, a different experience. Different experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm curious to just better understand what your perspective is on what those differences are and how those come together. Because oftentimes what happens is what's the programs that you were talking about and the language and the, the emotions and everything that are playing in each side's head is they're like on two different planets. Yes. And, yeah. and it's like, how do, we, how do we bridge that gap so that there's a common language, a common communication to actually begin relating? Yeah. So step one is not thinking the other, like is understanding too, like our brains actually compute data differently. They process data differently. That leads to socializing. Like, I mean, nature and nurture, right? Let's not get into that, but we socialize differently. We communicate differently. I was just, I was just having a conversation with my partner and he said something and I got really excited and I started talking and he was like, can you let me finish? (laughs) I was like, Oh, right. The masculine, they take turns. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Whereas like, we're like, chirp, 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 chirp. Oh, chirp, chirp, chirp. oh, so what were yes. you saying again? Right. Yes. And like, and like, we have these, like this, like multi-layered conversation pattern. We don't feel like we're interrupting each other. We're just right. talking. Right. Right. So step one is, is like, rec- like we are different creatures. Embrace that we're different creatures. That's why you're, we're attracted to each other. Right. Like yeah. if you wanted to be with someone just like you, you would want to date a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello. Right. Yep. And then, and then it's not about creating a common language so much as like learning to speak one another's language. So let's say you have like somebody who speaks Portuguese and somebody who speaks uh, Spanish or no, let's pick a different one, Japanese, right? Instead of them both going and learning English, it's like, well, what if the, like the one who speaks Portuguese learns Japanese and the one who's ja- who speaks Japanese learns Portuguese, mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, because you're never going to understand, like, you, yeah, you can create a third language, you could, could create a third language, but you're going to miss all of like the beautiful nuance of Portuguese because you didn't learn it. Yeah. I like so, that. Yeah. I like that as a metaphor. Um, 
what do you think it is about the feminine language that men don't get? Oh, you think we mean what we say. <laughs> right? What? Like, yeah, I know. Like, you, like, like my client who is just like, I mean, like if a girl likes me, she'll talk to me. Right. And I was like, no, oh. like, I wish, I wish that we knew that. Right. But the number of times too, where I've been working with a woman and she'll be like, well, like, I feel like it was pretty clear when I said, you know, all the time. Like, I hear that from women all the time. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He completely yeah. missed it. I promise. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I feel like it was really clear that I didn't want to keep seeing him. And I'm like, okay, cool. Read me that text message. And it's like, Hey, I had such an amazing time. I'm really busy right now. <laughs> but bup, bada, beep, bup, Right. And I'm like, cool. So clear would have been, yeah. I like, I wasn't feeling the romantic attraction I'm looking for and I'm not available to go on any more dates. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know? That's hard to misinterpret. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. It's like clear and no uncertain term. And women are like, what? <laughs> right. Cause we do a lot of interpretation with one another. It's, it's mm -hmm. just like the way that we communicate. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think that's the other thing too, is like sometimes it can be frustrating, but is as like, as like, you're going to do yourself and whoever it is that you're, and of course, obviously we're talking about like the, more of like a heterosexual dynamic right now, but you're going to do you and the person that you're dating such a, such a service. If you can, if you can enjoy those differences and like embrace those idiosyncrasies, you know what I mean? <laughs> I <do>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, of course you know what I mean. Cause like we're on the relationship train. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, what do you, can I ask you on a, like on a personal level, like what is it that makes your relationship great? Can I put you on the spot? Do you mind sharing? Yeah, totally. I think, so this might be a roundabout answer. So, so one of the things I hear uh, for, for people that have like kind of discovered this whole like masculine fem feminine dynamic, I like to call it like the language of intimacy, the energetics of intimacy, right? Like masculine, feminine. There's a couple other ways that people talk about it, but really just like that polarity versus resonance, right? Where you're both in the same. And oftentimes I'll hear women say like, I want a man in his masculine. And I don't think that's actually quite accurate. I think what we want is someone who's integrated, right? Um, because a lot of us have been with someone who's hyper-masculine, who finds our desire for connection annoying or suffocating, like we're too much. Um, oh, she wants my attention all the time, you know, um, who's not like super in touch with his feelings or his emotions. So um, what we really want is somebody who's deeply integrated. So, so the work that I've done to really like get to know my feminine and love her and, and relish her wisdom, um, I really, what I think is really amazing about the man that I'm with is he has done some beautiful work to be to honor and, and reside in and serve his masculine. And obviously like as an entrepreneur, I have a very activated masculine energy that I can inhabit, that I can call upon, that I can get shit done, that I can be super focused for, you know, the entire day and, um, and like, you know, bring things across the finish line. That's not my, that's not my feminine. Uh, -uh. no, no, no. <laughs> She's like, um, I would like to play ukulele and be in a bath and a silk robe all day, right? Um, and, and, and same with him where like he doesn't, he, 
uh, I like the terms alpha omega because it can actually kind of like let us, that's, that's what my teachers use, alpha being, you know, historically masculine, feminine being, or omega being feminine because it can help us kind of like degender it and just think of it as the energy. So I think that he has a really beautiful relationship to him, his omega. Like he really honors his feelings. He really honors um, like when something comes up and is challenging and like is like so fucking grounded and courageous and like speaking into it and like creating space for that for himself. And so for me, I think what's really powerful is how much work we've both done to integrate and really reclaim all of who we are mm-hmm. versus like, oh, I need to be more feminine in, or- in order to be a good partner. Or I need to be more masculine in order to be a good partner. It's like, no, you need to fully own your energies and 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 create the agility to be in the one that need that the relationship needs in this moment. True. Do you find that though that as a woman that you tend to lean on or or desire to be in a feminine essence more percentage wise more than not? Obviously, as an entrepreneur, you're in your masculine a lot. Um, do you feel as at home there? Do you feel just as, as full and enlightened and, and alive there? Or do you have to, do you find that you need to return to that feminine energy to really connect with the essence of who you are? Yeah. And definitely in what you said, yes, totally. Um, and in relationship, right? Like in relationship, 95% of the time I, I'm very much would rather be in my feminine. That said, we're both entrepreneurs and what we'll do is we'll budget time. So we will, where we like want to pitch and catch because we both have pretty awesome skill sets. So we'll actually like budget and create meetings where we can pitch and catch about business. And then that's like a sacred time dedicated just for that. Mm -hmm. And then when we come out and we're in relationship, we're in much more of that intentionally polarized dynamic. Yes. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. What, uh, how would you, um, you, you meet a lot of people, you probably talk to a lot of people and, and who say that they love each other. Like, do you love your wife? Do you love your husband? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we love each other. We love each other. But there seems to be a lacking energy, a lacking spark, a lacking, you know, f- passion and fuel between them. Whereas you'll see other couples that are, you know, the, the proverbial 80, 90 year old couples, and they just, they've been together for 50 years and they still can't keep their hands off each other. Yeah. What is, what is it in your mind to be in love? What just like, specifically what are those things that create that the longevity of passion we talked about mm-hmm. polarization of course but but is it is it that maybe it is that simple but like what is the what does it mean to be in love in your mind yeah i find the in love thing harder to answer cuz i think a lot of people's reference points are actually like trauma bonding right? Where it's like, oh, you abused me the same way my dad did. This feels familiar to my nervous system. Let's get married. Um, And, uh, and a lot of us, you know, or like love addiction. Um, But when you said longevity, I got really excited because I think one thing is being powerful in polarity and powerful in resonance. I think partnerships need both. Mm -hmm. Um, Another is a sense of humor, right? Um, and then I think the other is, um, hold on, there was a couple. Um, another is generosity and not, um, not to be confused with martyrdom or self-sacrifice. I think that there's actually no space for sacrifice in a partnership. And anytime you start to move into a space of sacrifice, you're poisoning the well. Interesting. Um, um 
what would you consider a compromise a sacrifice? It, it like it depends moment by moment. It depends on how the compromise is made. Um, it depends on like the energy and like where the decision, like the behavior could look identical and the energy could be self-sacrifice or the energy could be like courageous generosity. Yep. And they feel wildly different. Yep. That makes sense. Know? Yes. Um, yeah. I think self-sacrifice is and martyrdom has been really celebrated um, and normalized and it's like loving. And I actually think it's super, super selfish. Mm -hmm. um, cause it's like, instead of taking, instead of betting on the relationship and betting on the dynamism of the two of you and betting on your ability to move through discomfort or, um, disconnect to create a higher caliber resolution, one person caves, right? Like, Oh, it's cause I love this person. And I'm like, mm, okay. But that, do I don't think that serves longevity at all. Right. Um, and then the, the other was humor, generosity, and time apart, mm. intentional time apart. Um, I think we, we all fall in love. Like I've been talking about this a lot right now, which is like, Hey, if you're quarantined with your boo, your husband, your wife, whatever, like you need to be tending to your time alone and not just cause like they're busy on a meeting or they're, they're whatever, right? Like you need to be prioritizing your relationship with yourself and um, because that's a priority for you, not because you're like fitting in. I know it's obviously like easier said than done, but um, yeah, time apart, which can be either by, by yourself and or like socializing with your people, like mm -hmm. your, your community, your circle. Mm -hmm. So intentional time apart, generosity, a sense of humor, and then yep. clarity and resonance. Okay. Um, good answer. I like that. Um, a plus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You pass, you pass. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am, um, I am also interested in one of the things that I see continually pop up in, um, in relationships. That's a, that's a destructive force is lack of intimacy. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of times that comes, and I'm talking about physical intimacy, I find that a lot of times that comes from a very limited scope from both parties, but often um, that men have very little understanding of feminine intimacy. And, uh, and oftentimes women don't know either. Like they don't even know themselves enough to know the, the instrument that they are and the connection to deeper levels of love and passion and, and intimacy. Um, I find that when you, ha you know, we've been talking about conscious or evolved men and women that the intimacy takes a completely different shape than like you, you were talking about the second ago, the, the act could be the same, but the energy around it is, it, it makes it a completely different. It's a game changer. Like you're in a completely different universe when you're connected on a deeper, more uh, evolved, awakened <laughs> uh, level. What is it about, um, if you could speak to the men that are listening to this right now, what is it that they're missing mm. in the feminine experience in, mm. in the feminine intimate experience? Yeah. They need to know? So there's a, so there's two things. One, I would say, um, I would say like it starts with the energetic environment to followed by foreplay. And I'll talk a little more. Right. Um, and so it, a lot of it is really setting the stage. So again, you and I, um, Tony talks about this, 
but is there are three there are three ways to pop a woman out of her feminine surefire surefire every day every day of the week um pop, and pop her out of her feminine or out of yeah, masculine out of her out of her feminine and okay. that is oh. that is if she doesn't feel safe she doesn't feel seen and she doesn't feel understood mm-hmm. any one of those three and the other two are soon followed and i promise you she's not feeling she's not open hearted she's not energetically available right yes um and so the first is like setting the stage of like you know, like, am I creating an environment? Am I showing up in my full presence and my reassurance um, in my, uh, like my own open heart such that she feels safe, seen and understood. And that's like step one. And then step two is like, we want intimacy before sex, emotional, uh, psychological. Um, And so usually it will go a long way if you, set up like the opportunity to like actually connect to be fully present to get curious about this person who you like think you know i guarantee you there's stuff you don't know about that person and if you can become an investigator and become like deeply invested and 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 like how curious you can be about her and how connected you can be about her how much you can like hear her and see her um it's gonna be like you know she'll she'll blossom in front of you like a flower yes um so i think like those two things are are things that men don't realize because you earlier talked about um, men's biggest fear. Well, yeah, biggest fear is rejection. Our ba- our biggest fear is getting killed, and um, we feel unsafe. This is not like a choice. Like our, our nervous system is literally programmed to regulate our safety twenty four seven. Our safety with our partner, our safety walking down the street, um, emotional and physical. Yeah, I'm glad um, you made that distinction. Yeah, emotional and physical, um, and. So is understanding that like, if we're, if we're like regulating our safety, like we, no, like we're, we're like looking for the tiger. You know what I mean? It's like, help us know, like, yo girl, like I got you, like there no tiger. And if it comes, I got it. You know, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Hi, hi, hi. Right. Like we're going to like melt. <laughs> <laughs> do you like my impressions? My little I do, like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that that's, that's understanding. It's like, if you can alleviate a woman's need to regulate her safety, She's going to be so much more energetically and emotionally available. Let's and talk about, from, yeah, sorry. You made the distinction between not just physical safety, but emotional. You mentioned before that you have clients that have been with quote unquote masculine men and they're, they don't want to connect and they don't, and I would say that that's a lower level of masculinity, but yeah, but that, that, that is a masculine energy. And I get that. But, um, I think many men miss like, Oh, I'm, I, you know, I, I, keep her on the inside on the sidewalk. I, you know, I'm a bigger guy. I go to the gym. I, I know how to fight or whatever. And fine. You, you check that box off of physical safety that you're going to be there for her and protect her in that physical realm. But I think a lot of men miss and completely miss. How do I provide emotional safety? Can you communicate what that is? Like, what does, what does not feel, what does not being emotionally safe look and sound like? And then what does being safe emotionally look and sound like? Yeah. Like what, what you said is it's sort of like, it's like they read the textbook of like what, what like a good masculine man does and they're performing the masculinity. Right. And like, that's like, it's great. Like I love, I love having the door open for me. I love having, you know, flowers. And I've, I've been, I have been with partners where it was like, that's really cool. But at home, 
I don't feel seen, right? Like, and I would much rather experience your full presence and experience being seen than having the freaking door open for me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so I would even say like, um, like don't not do all those like fun bells and whistles because we love it. (laughs) But is that what's the most important is that emotional safety. And some of the ways that we experience that is like full undivided presence, not just physical presence, but um, like really feeling you. Um, Another is reassurance, real reassurance, right? Not like it's going to be okay, babe. Stop, stop being a worry wart. But like, I got you. It's going to be okay. Mm. We're like, oh, thank you. (laughs) Cause I'm afraid you don't, I'm afraid nobody's got it, (laughs) you know? And then the other, the other is like attention is like, we, we really want to feel your desire to, to be around us, to be with us physically, actually. Um, when, like when I know, like when my, if I feel, which is so funny, I'm so glad I speak these languages. Oh my God. Right. Like my partner will be like working and I'll be like, I don't feel like he wants me right now. And it's like, he freaking doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> working, you know? Right. But like, and thank God I speak the language so I can like not take it personally and not make yep. it about myself. Yep. Um, but I, I but like, I have enough wherewithal to like see that dynamic at play. So I think that those are like three really important ingredients to create that the ability for like your woman to like melt and, um, and really just like open up and then we're going to test you to make sure you mean it. Right. Right. <laughs> We're regulating for safety. So think about it. Think about it as though like we're almost like testing the architecture, right? We're like, okay, I know it like looks like this, but is this sturdy? Is yes. this steady? And so that's where that testing comes from. It's not, it's not a fuck you. It's not, I mean, sometimes it might feel like that, but um, it's not, it's not capricious. It's, it's again, it's that muscle of regulating our safety to be like, is this sturdy? Is it going to, is it steadfast? Is it going to be here in five minutes a day? Right. So mm-hmm. that's where that like testing comes from. I think that's a really important thing that a lot of, we talked, you know, early in the conversation, you talked about educating people on relationships. That's something that um, I learned as a man that was like, Oh, <laughs> and that makes sense. Like um, biologically, you know, you as a woman become very vulnerable during child rearing rearing. And if that's woven into your nervous system of, I need, I'm going to be incapacitated essentially for months, years of my life. I need somebody that's going to be able to protect me. And so I need to test, like, this isn't just, I want to be attracted to you or whatever. It, it runs deep. Like I, yeah. I need to make sure that I can bear children and, and, and provide for them and grow up and knowing that there's somebody that's going to stick around, that's going to provide, that's going to show up and, and not, um, not wither under a, a slight breeze of, of turbulence, you know? Yeah. So once- if, if you crumble, when I push back on you a little bit, you sure as heck aren't strong enough to defend against an attacking, another attacking male. Right. Yeah. No, not really. Right. But like, that's like, that's, that's the, that's the, the that's feminine the perspective or that's, that's like not real. Right. Obviously right. like, um, but that's, that's like what we're testing for. It's like, man, if, if I can like say something that put that like push bowls him over, like, is he going to be able to protect me against a predator? Well, so that's, what's interesting about that is I, I see those from a masculine perspective. I see those as very different energies. I see totally. a lot of guys 
I see, I see guys who are um, special forces veterans, some of the biggest badasses on the planet who could destroy you in a millisecond. Right. And they have zero problem uh, expressing that energetically. And the women that are with them feel that as well. So they know that they have a badass there that can deal with life and predators and that. But when it comes to actual emotional intimacy, when it comes to actual relating, um, she feels very vulnerable. She feels very unseen, very unsafe because he bulldozes, because he doesn't really listen, because he uh, you know, goes through the motions, nods his head, and then does his own thing anyway. The behavior never changes. He's not fully present. Yeah. So she's not feeling emotionally connected, emotionally uh, safe. And so it, it, it dims her light. You know, she keeps, she's guarded. Um, so d- I'm curious though, in your mind as a woman, do you see those tests? Do you see an emotional test as, Hey, if he can't handle this emotional test, then maybe he can't handle the predator too. Yeah. Like it's not logical. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, like, yes, you're four inches taller than me and 40 pounds heavier and it's all muscle, right? Like, duh, I know. But like, I'm not going to wrestle. Like, I'm not going to like wrestle you. That's not, that's not feminine. Right. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to poke at, I'm going to poke at the structure, poke at this again, not conscious. Like women aren't like, I know I'm going to make him feel like shit today. Right. (laughs) Right. It's more like, oh, I feel unsafe. Let me let me like counter attack. And what would make me feel safe would be like, oh, I'm not fucking going anywhere. You can be a brat all morning. I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Th- then we're like, oh, OK. Um, but yeah, I think like because what we have is it like um, emotional weaponry. We don't have the status on you. So like how else would we like test the infrastructure of your safety? Yes. That was a big distinction for me in my journey as well as understanding because a lot of, you'll hear a lot of men say that, you know, women are very manipulative and, um, and, but, but it's, it's like a survival skill almost Mm -hmm. because, because you're not the biggest or the strongest or whatever. It's like, well, what weapon do you have? You have the ability to intuit and to perceive and to manipulate around you. Um, which, you know, is maybe lower vibration energy if it's, if it's done in a way that's not healthy and, and destructive to relationships. But yeah. um, it, it's an interesting takeaway, though, in my mind that as a woman, you would see uh, the lack of emotional resiliency to deal with an emotional test from a woman as also, oh, he must, that that weakness is, is in, in other parts of his life too. Because again, yeah. in a man, from a man's perspective, I think yeah. a lot of men would say, oh, I could beat the shit out of somebody else, but I, I, I'm not connected at all to my woman. I don't, I don't understand her, her emotional world. Um, this comes all the way back to like assuming we're like one another. Yeah. Right? So women, like we cut our teeth. Here's the thing. The manipulation and all that stuff is just people, at any given point, a human is trying to get their needs met. And if they're not doing it consciously and intentionally, they're doing it unconsciously and unintentionally Mm -hmm. and unconsciously and unintentionally. Oftentimes it happens in like destructive ways that don't feel good, but they're getting their needs met. So it's like, Mm -hmm. she's getting there. She's getting her safety needs met because she's taking control. Let's say, no, that doesn't serve the relationship, but at some level that's making her feel safer. So she'll take that over no safety at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Hold on. Getting needs met. Oh, so, right? Like if I, if I make a cutting, oh my God, just think, think about, I'm thinking about like middle school and high school as a girl, right? 
we would talk about each other. We would gossip about each other and we would stay friends for years, even though we were being kind of dicks to each other. Mm-hmm. Right. So those, they would stick around even like, despite if you said, despite if you were critical, despite if you spoke behind each other's back. So if my man can't handle it and like a 14 year old girl can't, right. Because I'm processing him. I'm processing him as though he functions like me. Cause yep. I don't understand. Um, I don't know if this is related at all, but like sometimes I'll get in like wrestling matches with, <laughs> with my man and it is just like, I love that I can never win. It doesn't stop me from trying, but I love it. And it actually makes me feel safer emotionally. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a whole nother thing that I don't think a lot of men understand. And, and that to me translates directly into the bedroom where, where there's a dominance energy and a, um, and I think a lot of men, I don't know that women appreciate how beat down men are in, in our culture right now. And so they've, all they've heard is how toxic they are, how patriarchal they are, how uh, stupid they are. Every pop uh, culture reference is how dumb and whatever. And, And so he, he takes that energy into the relationship. If he's a kind person, if he's a nice guy, the, the, the quote unquote nice guy. And so he, he's very sensitive to, and a lot of times he, he's coming from the origin of didn't have a strong father, masculine energy in the household. Mother was much stronger. So he knew how to relate to her. He knew how to make her happy. And then he grows up and he's in a relationship where he's pleasing the woman in his head. He's trying to please her, but it's really more a placating energy. Yeah. And so when that, when you get into the bedroom, there isn't the, the, the integrated male who's connected to his primal energy as well as his deeper spiritual uh, masculine energy to, to take control, to create that safety, to create that foundation so that she can fully blossom, let go, and be ultimately very free. Um, do you have advice in, in that regard to help men and or women to like, which comes first? Because these are energies that beget each other. In my mind, the, the feminine begets the masculine, begets the feminine, begets the, like it's a, it's a yin yang thing. Um, yeah. Does a woman let her guard down first? Does she open first to call forth the masculine? Does the masculine in your mind, what is your, what is your take on that? And how do you create that dynamic in, in the bedroom? The person who goes first is whoever is listening to this podcast. Mm. So anytime you make it the other person's job to go first. You're creating a backdoor for you not to show up in alignment with what I'm guessing is like a high standard for yourself. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm always the one who needs to go first for my partner. He's always the one that needs to go first. Mm-hmm. Whenever you have that higher consciousness moment where you like realize the di- the dynamic is, is starting to drop standard who I, like, if you notice you have to opt in. You can't be like, well, I've done it the last three times. Because that to me right there says you don't actually have a standard set for who you are as a partner and for your partnership. Mm-hmm. It, like The way you show up has to be fueled by your agreements with yourself, not conditional on your, the way your partner is showing up. Right. Because if that's true, then, you're, then you don't actually have a standard. It evaporates the minute your partner does something that annoys you or that you don't like or that disappoints you. And 
And then, and then you, you, you fall and then that's how we get into depolarization because we start to move into transaction. We're like, well, I was nice the last two times. It's her turn to be nice. Mm-hmm. I cleaned the kitchen the last four times. It's his time to clean the kitchen, right? Like that's not partnership. That's, that's transactional or yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like sibling rivalry, you yeah. know, like mom, I did the, ch- I did the chores last time. Like, ugh. so, <laughs> so I think the thing is like, who goes first is, as like whoever's listening to this, like you go first, you go first every time. Um, and for, for the men who are listening, what I would say is like, I would love to give you the permission slip that you get to create your relationship to your own masculinity. And that in doing so, not only are you going to feel more like a fucking powerhouse, Um, but you're also going to be safer to every woman in your life and to every man in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, and like we are, and we are, we're at a point where like, we're like, we do need men to choose that they're the ones in charge of defining their own masculinity. And I think there is a lot of flack coming at men now. Um, I also want to create some context that like it's due to, millennia of oppression and abuse and violation and murder of women. And like for the first time ever, women actually have a megaphone to say like, we're really fucking hurt and we're really disappointed and we're really traumatized. Yes. Um, and, I'm, and so I think what the next incarnation is, is to like, can you find it within your own masculine identity to let women's anger be okay? Mm-hmm. To understand, like, it's not going to be cute. It's not going to serve you. But that, 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 like, women need to be able to be angry because they're, they've had to work so hard to carve out safety for themselves and, like, yep. a voice and, like, space on the planet. Um, and I think what I would love is this, and this isn't to downplay, like, men have also been deeply deeply wounded by patriarchy right like that you're not allowed to have feelings i mean the yeah there's so there are so many ways that men have also been violated by that by this like um very like violent unforgiving definition of what a man is supposed to be like a man is supposed to hurt women right like under like the the patriarchies that we've had for so long um so we've all really suffered um but the invitation is is to like, can you take a step away from that and be like, okay, cool. That's all information. That's all data. And like, who am I on this planet to be? Who am I, who am I going to design myself into being? How do I want people to feel around me? When people look at me, what do I want them to think? Not because, not from like a significant standpoint, but from like a, like a spiritual imprint standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I also think the most loving thing is not for women to lower their standards of men of men, which is sometimes kind of what I hear where it's like, oh, people are being really hard on men. And it's like, you can hear that kind of in maybe like the languaging, but underneath it is this like, we fucking need you. We need you so much right now. We need more of you. Um, and is to hear that call, like underneath that energetic, underneath the surface and to answer that call. I love that you translated that into something that men could actually hear because- yeah. Uh, a lot of men, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of work. And so I, I totally get what you're saying, that there needs to be that space um, and, and that it's time for women to to speak out. The Me Too movement, like, and look at the, 
look at some of the 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 um, tyrants that have been taken down in the last few months. I mean, these guys are fucking, you know, they're disasters. Um, What what's happening though, is the men that the women are really calling for the men that are really needed are the ones that are listening and actually take it to heart and are Mm -hmm. extra sensitive to women. And by default, because they haven't fully done the integrated work, they they're on their heels is this okay? Mm-hmm. What about this? Is that all right? Whereas the men who they're really speaking to, the women are speaking to, who are who are abusive to women, are the ones that don't give a shit, and mm-hmm. they go, "Well, fuck you anyway." And they, so they they a lot of times it, it holds down the very men that they ultimately I think are wanting to have. Now, that's not women's fault. I'm just simply saying I I see that dynamic from a masculine perspective. I talk to a lot of men who who just feel like they have no win. They're, they're defeated yeah. before they start. And, and the message that I'd love for them to hear is what you just said, which is like the, the anger, the frustration, the, all of that energy is the subtext of all of that is we need you. Yeah. Yeah. And we need you to do it and not ask us to teach you or show you how. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it'd be and really this- nice if women were like, oh yeah, so by the way, we have a wonderful uh, four-step plan to enlightened masculinity. Here you go, <laughs> right? But that's actually, like that wouldn't even create it, no. right? Like it has to be your self-reclamation and, and like women just like men, it's like they don't know how to ask for it. Yeah. Um, and even if they, and even if they did, I don't think the men really want their women to be like, Hey honey, I have a four step plan for you for enlightened masculinity. Yeah. That's the biggest, right? like, yeah, you can just go limp just hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, great. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I like whoever's listening, I'd love, I'd love for that. It's like a cry for help. It's like, we really need your help. Yeah. We really need yeah. you as allies. And not only that, but we really need you as like, like, warriors you know who like I guess it's like my question is like what do you want the standard for the planet to be and how are you showing up for it not because it's comfortable or you're going to get external validation for it but because like that's what you've identified as like the man you want to be in this lifetime Mm -hmm. so that's a that's a big that's a big pivot point in one psychology because if you're if you're going around looking for answers if you're looking for advice or uh, especially if you did like I did and and went to feminine energy to to get that validation in a masculine way uh, you're screwed you're like you said you're never you're just there's never going to be um, you're never going to be satiated there. Um, and even if you're looking for it from other men, mentors and stuff like that, obviously that's helpful to get some of that guidance. And, and there is a groundswell now of men that are, that are doing that work. And I'm seeing yeah. that, which is awesome. Um, but it's still, as you said, it still does come down to that individual's um, reclamation and, and determination to say, this is the type of man that I'm going to be. Um, and that's, I, I find that to be very healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say like, don't do it alone. Like, seek out brotherhood, seek yes. out mature, uh, conscious, powerful, strong brotherhood. Um, like we're tribal animals down to our bones. And then is also seek out leadership, find a man or a few men whose leadership inspires you that calls you forth that really challenges you. And, um, 
and like welcome him, in, welcome him into your sphere of influence, whether it's like hiring a mentor, working with a coach or, um, you know, doing events like Tony's or what have you, but it's like, like, don't wait for it to come to you. Like be like, cool, I'm going to actually like seek out a couple of leaders or mentors to really influence me into becoming the kind of man that I say I want to be. And mm-hmm. then yeah, get, get brotherhood. Like I think men need brotherhood more than ever. It's, it's a crucial component to the development of a man. So many men are trying to do it in isolation and, and there's millions of guys in isolation that are just, <laughs> just dying a slow death. Um, you have to reach out. You have to yeah. connect with other men. And uh, let me just say this from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it's less efficient, mm-hmm. right? Like the lone wolf mythology, I think is the biggest lie in entrepreneurship of like, I ate ramen and I was in my basement and all of this BS. And I'm like, no. They're at some point they leveraged support. They were, they were in a mastermind. They hired a mentor. They got investors. They had someone they pitched it. They had a business partner, whatever, right? Like the number of actual lone wolves, it's, it's minuscule. I haven't met one yet. And um, the mythology and the fetishization of this lone wolf mythology, I think is it's poisonous to mm. our success. And so like for the men listening this like whole thing, like, oh, I should be able to do it alone. I'm like, no, you shouldn't. Hunting, hunting parties never had one dude. Mm-hmm. The men would go out together mm-hmm. to hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the men yep. would go out together to war. It wasn't one guy. Yeah. So it's like if, if, if people want to remove the lone wolf psychology from their, like their thoughtscape, I would say like do it because A, it's not true and B, it's super inefficient. Yeah get there further faster with brothers. Yeah. I love that. Um, are you, how, how are you on time? I think I have all the time in the world. Yeah, I do. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Um, I, I mean, I could talk about this all day long, so I, I, I wanted know. to be respectful. I do talk about it all day long. <laughs> <laughs> um, good. So, uh, so what's the next thing? What, uh, I, I've run through sort of my initial list of questions, but, um, maybe you could give an example of like a case study of, of, uh, some of the women that you've worked with and, mm-hmm. and generally speaking, the troubles that they're running into and how you've supported them and what kind of results you're getting now. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, uh, I particularly work with people who like don't want to date online. So this is a very interesting time. Oh, Um, so all women. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like people don't actually want to date online. Um, and let's just start with like, uh, so I, again, like work with like entrepreneurs and executives and so they're very busy. Um, and if you've ever, you, have you ever used an online dating app? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like kind of a chore, like a side hustle. You do it like the 10 minutes before you go to sleep or maybe you're going to the bathroom. Uh, you know, maybe someone's attractive, but or you're traveling or you're traveling. Um, it doesn't take too like you go on a few dates with people and it, and you're like, Oh, okay, this is the fourth date I've gone on. There's no chemistry. I know that in the first 30 seconds, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe this doesn't work. And so then people kind of stall out there and they're like, ah, dating online dating is not for me they delete the apps and then they stall out because everybody thinks like, well, like when I talk to people, I'm like, great. So what are you doing in your love life? And they'll be like, Oh, well, nothing. Cause I don't want to be on the apps. And so the first is that there's only one way to meet people romantically. And that's through online dating. And then is, and, and just a little caveat about that is if you go back and look at like TV shows from like the early two thousands and before 
they're always making fun of blind dates. Like, oh God. So, you know, like in Seinfeld and stuff like, oh, like George set me up on this blind date. It's going to be terrible. And, it, and it's like this like running gag in sitcoms of how terrible blind dates are. Mm-hmm. Dating apps are literally just saturating you with blind dates, mm. right? So we took this thing that was like most people's least favorite way to date. And then we made that the vast majority of the way that people date. Mm-hmm. So then people stall out and, and, and then the other way, and I don't know if this is cause like, this is how it's portrayed in movies or not, but they'll also say like, it's not like I'm like go to bars and like try to get picked up. Right. Right. Cause like, yeah. Um, you don't want that. I, you don't want your romance story to start with. Yeah. So I was at a bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And like, it doesn't really happen anyway. And like a lot, especially a lot of my clients don't really drink. Um, uh, or like they're not like going to bars, you know what I mean? Like if they're at a bar, they're getting like a glass of wine with their girlfriend. Right. Um, so, and then if they do have free time, they would, they want to spend it with the people they love the most, right? Like they're busy women. And so people just stall out. I'll be like, how's your love life? It's like, what love life? <laughs> so, so, so what I really like, like to bring in is, is I kind of use a lot of like, I use a lot of business metaphors where um, the caliber of relationship that they want isn't, is very, it's very unlikely that it's going to come from doing nothing. Right. (laughs) So if you're going to do something though, let's create a high quality strategy. Let's create a high quality experience so that it's something you look forward to. It doesn't feel like you're wasting time. Mm-hmm. So that looks like a couple of things. One, it, there's sort of three ways I go about. One is a lot of what we talked about is really understanding the neurology and biology at play. Mm. Like how is trauma stored in the body? How has trauma made your decisions for you historically? Um, what's your attachment style? What's your love language? Um, what are, and what are, you, sorry to interrupt. Do you find that a lot of times that the trauma is subconscious or are you talking primarily of very conscious trauma? No, like, uh, like subconscious, even just like relational trauma. So which doesn't necessarily mean things as like severe or rape or sexual assault, but it could be like, um, you had a partner who would scoff when you would have ideas. Mm-hmm. So now when you have an idea, you bite your tongue. Mm-hmm. That is, that's exactly how the nervous system protects you against further rejection trauma. Right. Yes. And your new partner. And also just so everybody listening knows anytime you're in a new relationship, Let's say you've taken a break, you've taken two years off, three years off, you've been working on yourself. The minute you get back in partnership, all the shit from your old relationship is going to pop up because in those three years of intentional singleness, celibacy, whatever, you didn't have the stimulus of partnership to trigger your shit. Yes. So you get in a relationship in the first three months, here you are afraid. You're like, oh, like they say this thing and you're like, oh, I hope she's not like my ex. I hope he's not like my ex. That's not... Like this person may or may not be doing it, but that's not actually them. They're just stimulating a previous trauma, a previous program you ran, right. you're running. And so, but that's also what's so beautiful about partnership is like, ideally this person's better than the last person. And then you actually get to heal it mm. through like getting a new experience versus speaking into it versus co-creating, like knowing that, that knowing that that's at play. Mm-hmm. The first is understanding like biology, like we compute differently, we communicate differently, we socialize differently. Alison Armstrong teaches a ton of this stuff. Um, but you have to know that like we're, we're human beings and like our human self is part of the equation. Um, you can't just ignore it. Secondly, as I liked, like, is like the energetics, we talked about polarity, that, that 
that the like masculine feminine really comes from like the, the tantric um, lineage of um, under, like relational yeah, dynamics. Um, and also like uh, quant quantum physics. So vibration, frequency. Um, so you know, hear people say like a higher vibration or a high, a, like on my frequency, on my level. Um, and is understanding that like you have to be, not you don't have to, but like you are constantly in a dance of choosing the frequency and the vibration from which you are coming energy like before we talked about behavior could look the same and one could be caving and one could be generosity mm -hmm. um i just had this come up with my partner recently where i had a sales call in the evening and our and movers were coming to deliver my furniture and he was like i got it and then afterwards i could tell he was super frustrated and I was just like, hey, like, you know, and he like, he needed to take some space. He took some space. We came back together. And, and he has an old program of like, I should do that thing. I should self-sacrifice. I, I should put my needs. Whereas like, I would have been fine um, rescheduling my sales call. It was my furniture, you know, mm -hmm. and that wouldn't have made me feel any less safe. And so what I said to him, is, I said, like, I said, I sacrifice doesn't have any place in a partnership with me. I need to trust that you can tap into what it is you need and communicate that to me because I would have been happy to move my sales call, right? The behavior looks the same, but the energy needs, like if it's generosity versus sacrifice, sacrifice will create rupture and disconnect between us. Generosity uh, will create connection. Mm. So that's like the energetics, right? And everybody right. can feel that. People can feel energy. And then the third is like practical freaking approach. Like, like the, like what I told you about eye contact. It's like a, like a thing, an action you can take that you have to be able to take and, and like know how to do in order to connect with the kind of man you want to be with. So, <laughs> so it's, it's this like three pronged approach and, and you got to understand it. Um, if you want to create extraordinary relationships, you can create not extraordinary relationships. I mean, like I could, I mean, I'm in a partnership, but like I could go to a, well, social distancing, social distancing aside, you can go to a bar, meet somebody and still be hanging out six months from now. Most of us have done that. So yep. it's not about just like getting a relationship. The reason that they're single is because they do have really high standards. They just don't have the unconventional intelligent approach to serve those high standards. So they kind of like eddy out and plateau and they're like, I guess I, I guess I can't have what I want. And that's just not true. Yeah. How do you how do you help these badass ambition, uh, ambitious um, women who are often in their masculine um, who are maybe conditioned to be in their masculine uh, who who have past trauma that puts up protective guards which is kind of a masculine energy or, or can be um, how do you help them be more in their feminine yeah a big part of it is like a helping them be able to see it and interact with it and understand like, it's like, it's like, it's not your fault that that inclination to self-protect is actually like a really beautiful, like that's, that's amazing. That's really beautiful. And it's not serving you to create what you want anymore. It's not mm -hmm. serving you to create the results you want. Um, and then the second is, is like really teaching them how to create space for a man to show up. So um, again, like a lot of them are go-getters, go that ability to like be concise, be effective, take control has made them really safe and, and like contributed to the level of success that they have. And it's very inefficient to create the kind of intimacy because most of them want to be with a man who's a very, has a very powerful capacity to lead. Right. And so like, 
what's an example? Um, uh, oftentimes I'll, it, I'll just have to ask, like, would it feel better for you to have him text to ask you out or for you to tell him that you want to go out and then have him take you out? And they're like, well, the first one, I'm like, great. Well, then you have to wait. You have to actually give him the space to move into mm-hmm. versus like rushing across the space to really protect yourself against disappointment. Because what if he doesn't? Right. Totally. And, and I see, I see women create excuses there often where, well, if he really liked me, he would have said something by now. So I'm going to move on or I'm going to, you know, and they'll, they'll quickly, they, they won't create the space. There's not a very um, authentic, genuine opening there for somebody to actually step into. Yeah. And it, it, it's, again, it's like self-protection. We're just like really scared of being disappointed. So some of it is like all, like you, like you were talking about men being afraid of rejection. Some of it is like helping people to see like, what's like, how bad is it really? Right. So like for me, it's like, like they're so afraid of being disappointed. It's not conscious. It's unconscious. Right. That they'll like, they'll do this, this song and dance versus I'm like, okay, well like, so like, let's rehearse the worst case scenario. What if he doesn't text by Wednesday? Be like, Oh, like that wouldn't feel good i'm like okay great but like is it the end of the world it's like no i'll just make plans i'll make different plans it's like great often when i work with men too and they we're working about like with rejection it's like okay well like what what scenario are you in before you ask her out right it's like well i'm doing this with my it's like i'm not with her so if you ask her and she says no what scenario are you then in it's like i'm still not with her it's like great so really like that's, that's a bummer, but it's not actually a loss, you know? Yep. So, but you're guaranteed a no for every question you don't ask, you know? So like some of it is like really just like kind of like taking the fangs out of these things that we have this very reactive fear to and really like looking them in the face and being like, okay, how terrible it would rejection be in this moment. I happen to be looking at tuna at the grocery store. You know, and I'm going to like ask this like random girl whose name I don't even know. And if she says no, like, I mean, it might suck for a little bit, but like, I'll just get my favorite tuna and like go along my day. Yeah. And so it's just like, kind of like, again, like defanging these things that we build up without really like looking them in the face and then seeing like, oh, this is actually isn't as big and bad as I'm, as like my unconscious mind is generating around it. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that, that people can do right now in in um quarantine to to develop deeper connection to uh relate better you talked before about being intentional about space and creating space which i definitely recommend as well what are some other things that that you advise yeah um for people who are who are in partnership i would really recommend um if they don't already have this like instigating a date night that you treat as sacred like the same way you wouldn't reschedule Uh, a meeting with your boss or like your most important client is like you create a date night and you make it special, whether it's small ways. Um, I was just, I was on a podcast not too long ago where he said he he texted his wife who was coming home. She had just got run errands or something. And he was like, I got Mexican and champagne waiting for you. Right. And so he like had Mexican delivered and like got out a bottle of champagne on like a random Tuesday night and like made this like wonderful little, because right now, like what we have is the small stuff. Um, last night, me and my partner, we drove out to the coast, which is about an hour and a half away. It was supposed to be for sunset, but we got started late. Anyway, the point, and we ended up doing like a moonlit, like, this is so, I just realized how postcard this is. We did a moonlit beach walk and there was nobody there. 
Mm. Right. Um, but is really like creating a sacred date night that you don't reschedule unless it's like life threatening, but treat it the way you would if it was your, like your highest paycheck client. You know what I mean? Yes. The one who's like the lifeblood. If you have one of those. Um, and then, and then for, especially for like single people, I think it, it's, like life is still happening. And um, like if people want to put their life on hold, I mean, we're probably going to be social distancing for a minimum of four more months, maybe six, maybe 12. And so I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not the kind of person that's going to be like, okay, cool. Well, I'm just going to throw in the towel for six months and like try to pick things back up later. Like also that's not really how things work. Like if it's not growing, it's dying. So if people are single, I would say like, now is the time, like, hopefully, of course, like, from like a business and like a philosophical standpoint, I'm like, hopefully you don't have the distractions you were using before to numb yourself to the fact that you don't have the person you want to be with. Hmm. And now like you can't dive into social stuff. Maybe you can't dive into work. Maybe you can't go to the gym and work out to, you know, like pour your energy into that. And you have to really come face to face. Like I want a partnership and I don't have it. And instead of it being like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to put it on the back burner longer. I love for people to be like, okay, fuck this, fuck COVID. I'm going to get creative as fuck. And I'm going to find my person. Um, cause I, and, and I do a lot of posts about like, what's the most creative date you heard of on COVID. And I'm getting these messages pouring in of like this guy who he like had Postmates delivered to her house and then, you know, texted her. This is somebody he met online, texted her and was like, see, like, like, uh, he like joked around about how he was having like a digital limo pull up to her house. Like I might be a couple minutes, you know, like made this like whole joke and told her like, Hey, be dressed, dressed to the nines. I'll see you at six. And they both got dressed up and she ate the Postmates he'd had delivered. And like, they had this like fancy date over FaceTime. And it's like, like talk about getting the measure of a man, right. Or the measure of a woman. Like, is this person rising to the challenge? My guess Mm. is your listeners are the kind of people who want to be with that kind of person. Yes. So, I think that quarantine, I think the couples that you see that are, that are originating during quarantine are going to be some, some incredibly formidable couples, like hashtag power couple goals. Um, and, and like, I don't, I don't, I, it's just like so antithetical to who I am to put your life on hold for months, maybe years. Um, because really like, we don't know it, we don't know, like, I mean, New York is just like bananas right now, you yeah. know, with um, what's going on. And um, yeah, like now more than ever, like double down, get more innovative, get more creative, commit to a higher standard, invest more deeply in the life that you want. Don't bench yourself. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I have to say about that. I like it. I mean, who knew, you know, just a few short weeks ago that we'd be dealing with a global pandemic. I mean, uh, who has the the formula for that? I think we're all sort of trying to figure that out right now. And, um, but that does create a very interesting uh, sandbox for innovation and, you know, what comes out of that and what, what kind of relationships can you have and create? Um, and maybe it is a time for you to, to slow down. I know a lot of people that very quickly get into physical relationship or um, here's a time where you can really draw that out and create deeper connection, deeper intimacy, um, deeper anticipation once this freaking thing finally, you know, goes away. Um, so there's some opportunity there too, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's so like, 
I mean, how, how many, I'll say this for your listeners, like how many times have they like gone out with somebody, they were like, oh, this person's exciting. They slept with them. And then three months later, they're like, I don't know if I like having conversations with this person. <laughs> right. And then yeah. all of a sudden you have to break up with this person who you're not that excited about anyway, but it's because you dove into bed with one another because there was attraction. Yeah. Um, now, like the intentionality, like is built in for you. So like you said, you can create real intimacy before um, potentially um, like, I think sometimes people will use sex to create like a false intensity of intimacy, but that doesn't hold, that doesn't have like the emotional, um, like structure to support it. Right. And so now, now like that's really kind of taken off the table and you get, you get to see like, do I like this person's mind? Do yeah. I like their wisdom? Do I like their hearts? Do I like who they are in the world before really starting to create something physical to complement that? Right. Um, yeah, mm. that's an interesting thing. Have you done the, uh, have you seen that, th what is it? 35 questions to fall in love or something like that. That's gone around that, yeah. that, that could be an interesting one to do if you're just kind of getting to know somebody, uh, over FaceTime or whatever. Um, I literally what, just posted like 10 questions to ask, to get to know someone better in like a what flirty, are, flirty way. What are some of them? So some of them are like, what are small things that light you up? Uh, what are big things that light you up? What makes you feel safe? What makes you feel special? What makes you feel supported? What are things that feel high maintenance to ask for that you wish people would just know to do? Because I think we all have those. Uh, what makes you feel disconnected? What makes you... No, I can't remember. Oh, what's something you'd like to be acknowledged for? I like those questions. Yeah, good questions, good. huh? Yeah, they are. They, I mean, they go, they cut through to a much deeper real response. You can't mm -hmm. fake those. You can't put on the, the, the little mask, the, the, you know, the, the perfect you mask yeah. and, and answer those from that. Um, oh shoot. I just had a question. Um, shoot. It's a my mind. Um, oh, I was going to ask you, what is your, what is your thought on, I mean, I, relationship as we discussed earlier in the conversation is so different now than it has been in the last, you know, several decades, several generations. What is your thought on like, where is this going? There's a lot, there's, there's a growing movement of open relationships. There's a growing movement of, um, you know, gender fluidity and things like that. Where do you see relationships going? Yeah, I think I see relationships becoming super customized. So meaning that like one of the things that I, so I'm, I'm uh, much, my expertise is like monogamous devotional partnerships, which, do, which isn't, which aren't for everyone. Um, and something that I think that mon people who fall into the monogamous category could really learn from non-monogamous non individuals and polyamorous individuals is communication. Um, yeah. so, because in monogamy, there's a lot of assumptions of what it's supposed to look like. Um, how like people are supposed to know this, people are supposed to show up this way. And all of those assumptions have been pretty clean from the slate in the polyamorous world. Um, that, that dynamic doesn't work for me. It just seems like so much complexity. And uh, like, <laughs> I just like- for those like, that are I, listening, I wish you could see Thierry's face right now. <laughs> oh. my, friend, my, my friends who are polyamorous, whenever they're talking to me, I'm like, oh my God, that just sounds so exhausting. You know, yeah. and like the, 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 the dynamism and complexity with one person already feels like 
such a bottomless reservoir. Yeah, such a bottomless reservoir of growth for me and yeah. and them yeah. that adding like more people into it just is like whoa, crazy. Um, but it is like communication, and so as we have this just fluidity in general, is where where like there's fluidity of sexuality, fluidity of gender, fluidity of like relational relationship um, relationship structures. Is like we're basically the future is like becoming better at having conversations. Like when someone says I'm non-monogamous, like, okay, what do you mean by that? Oh, I'm monogamous. Okay. What do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. It means like this, but like someday I'd like to like open the bedroom up to other people. It's like, oh, okay, cool. So that's more like monogamish than it is like technically monogamous. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like who are you attracted to? Why? Um, I think that like the, the future, I like to think of sexuality and relationship like a wardrobe where it's like you get to, you get to fill it out with whatever you want. Um, and like two people could have the same outfit, but like one could be green and one could be red. Mm -hmm. And all of that comes through really like self-exploration and giving yourself permission to want what you really want and having those open dynamic, really exploratory conversations with the people that you're creating relationship with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, I'd asked you earlier about, uh, like a case study. Yeah, we got into that a little bit of like, what's, what are the things that women are dealing with? Um, do you have a specific example of, of the shifts that somebody has made and then the type of relationship that they're in now that's, you know? Yeah, totally. So, um, I would say that like more than anything, I, I really, there's some external things, but I would say like, I attract a certain psychographic versus it being a demographic. So I worked with women in their mid twenties up to men in their, late sixties. Um, but what's, what they, what the commonality is, is really desiring a spiritually fulfilling partnership. When I say spiritually fulfilling, I mean, growth oriented, um, lasting, uh, passionate, you know, like the whole kit and caboodle that sometimes mm-hmm. people think is fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've had, I've worked with people who were already in partnership, but had a lot of struggles around communication. Like it was like challenging to talk about money or talk about sex or religion or each other's families and then helping build, um, I'm thinking about like my very first client ever. She was in a relationship and uh, it was a good relationship. But when she got, she was like, I don't know if this is my person. Like we, we can't really talk about money. Like sometimes sex is challenging to talk about uh, you know, like X, Y, or Z. And then we worked on creating d- different ways of communicating and different ways of showing up and like really creating space for him to be who he was. They got married last fall. Mm. Right. Um, and then I've had people come to me who, um, another client, she, uh, the, her divorce wasn't even final, but, um, I, I, I don't want to like diagnose cause that's like not my expertise, but like her ex definitely demonstrated like narcissistic tendencies, like a lot of, um, not like a lot of, uh, deception and like not telling the truth and not honoring agreements and, you know, kind of, um, cha- being a challenging co-parent. Right. But so she had an eight month old son was going through the middle of a divorce. She was like, oh my God, who is going to want to take on a single mom with a difficult co-parent with mm-hmm. a toddler, mm-hmm. right? Um, and like, and then there was some stuff about feeling like damaged goods and, and due to like her religious background, divorce is pretty frowned upon. So she was dealing with some of that stuff with family. Um, and, you know, I think it was like 14, we worked together for two, six months, uh, spaced out a little bit in the middle. Um, and now she's with an amazing man. And like one of the things too that 
she didn't realize she could give herself permission to want was to be with a man who was going to be an amazing role model for her son. Mm. Right. It was more like, she was like, who's going to want me. Mm-hmm. And now mm. she, hmm? Yeah, had a lower standard to like, if I could just get anybody that would be willing to tolerate this versus, no, let me get an ideal role model for my son. Yeah. Yeah. And so we work together and oftentimes I I call them practice partnerships because what will happen is like they'll have an old MO, like an old type, like someone who's unavailable or somebody who talks down to them or, uh, or like the dry spell is their type, right? Like they Mm -hmm. don't date. And then some, and then as they do this work, the pattern will start to shift and somebody good comes along and they'll be like, oh, I figured it out. And then they'll like kind of go all in and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, like we have some, you know, like not in a judgmental way. Right. Like I, I trust people's processes, but, um, but it's like, they're all linked. They're like, Oh, I fixed it. And it's like, like, I know what your vision is. This person doesn't seem totally, but they're here to really teach you the lesson lessons so that you, you upgrade for what it is that you truly want. So yes. she had a practice partnership in the middle. And then, um, and this, this happens all the time. Yeah. Like now when people tell me, they're like, I reconnect with my ex-husband. I'm like, not surprised. <laughs> um, it was a friend of hers who she'd known for like 12 years. They'd never seen, like it was, you know, she was like, a, he's a handsome guy. He was like, she's a beautiful woman, but there just hadn't been that thing. And as she really went to that self reclamation and like really showed up for what she was here, the relationship she was like committed to having in this lifetime, mm-hmm. something switched. And they connected in a way that they'd never connected before. Uh, they've been together now for over a year. He like for Valentine's day, he showed up and was like, Hey, I want to take you and your son out for Valentine's day. That's so crazy. like they have a relationship. He has a relationship with her family. And, and like, she texts me all the time. She's like, you can't, you can't make this shit up. And then like, tell me something amazing. You know, where he's <laughs> like, it was like, I was picking out a holiday dress for his, his Christmas party. And, um, and I picked this one and like, and yesterday he showed up and he bought this other one that was like three times more expensive that he just said, like, I had to have, cause it, I was so beautiful in it, you know, like, like a uh, hashtag film worthy. <laughs> like, right. what? like he went back to the store and bought you the green ball gown. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, so they really are these just, because you have to show up for that relationship. You can't show you can't like show up for the kind of like mediocre relationship that everybody's like showing up for and want, you can't do ordinary things hoping for extraordinary results. Mm-hmm. You have to really embrace an extraordinary approach and, and that caliber of relationship comes from showing up in a really powerful way. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your, what is your thought on jealousy? What, how I do you, what about it? Um, uh, that's an issue right now for a lot of people, I mean, especially with, with where we are technologically, you know, um, women are uh, one profile away from getting, you know, a thousand uh, right swipes. Um, men are, you know, bombarded by scantily clad women in, in every social media channel that they see. And so there's, there's this constant um, diversion and a constant uh, distraction from, relationships. And if you don't have that solidarity, um, there's, there's openings for, uh, and, and frankly, even if you do, there's just human nature is, is one that we're going to be attracted to other people, even though we might be with somebody that we really love and are committed to. Um, how do you, how do you suggest people navigate those waters? Well, first, like you're going to feel jealous. Like that's just natural. 
Um, so the first thing is, is just understanding like it's a human inclination and like, I think where we get into hot water with jealousy is where, when we make it wrong. Um, but like they're <laughs> wrong, wrong by who? <laughs> just like, like we make ourselves wrong for doing it. We make Got our it. partner wrong for feeling it. But when my partner talks about his ex, I'll, like, I'll be like, he's, what's her name? Yeah. <laughs> or does she love, you know, but I can have a sense of humor about it where I cannot like get enrolled into the jealousy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's literally a part of me that wants him to never have looked at another woman <laughs> ever. <Right. laughs> and that's like crazy, but great. Like I can have a sense of humor about it and like see that in myself and go, Oh, that's just a human thing versus like, Oh, I'm somehow a jealous person or then start, or then make decisions in favor of that jealousy. Mm. Right. Um, I think it's really important that people like give themselves permission to talk about it. What if you were a safe space for your partner? Right. Which is, I feel very grateful where I can be like, Ooh, I just felt jealous about that, you know? And like, it's actually kind of like a flirting point where it's like, Oh yeah. You know, like we kind of like joke around it and it's safe for all of me to be there. Even the quote ugly parts Mm. and vice versa. Um, So I think like really committing, and you could even say this out loud with your partner of like, Hey, we're going to get jealous. We're going to be attracted to other people. I want, I want to be the safest person in the world for you to talk about that with. Mm-hmm. And I really want you to be the safest person in the world for me to talk about that with mm-hmm. versus having to hide something from your partner. Right. And now, yep. now you're already building in this culture of withholding truth. Um, and is like, there may be a very real wound there and it's really important to talk about wounds and create space for healing wounds without building a relationship around a wound or to it, to avoid a wound. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, like you see this a lot when people have friendships with their exes, um, where like, it's not okay to ask your partner to cut off friendships, period. It's not okay for you to ask them to, um, end part end relationships. Like that's just not, it's not, um, And that doesn't mean that you can't say like, Hey, your relationship with your ex, like it makes me feel a little bit crazy. Can we talk, can we talk about it? Mm -hmm. Can, you know, cause I want to figure out a way to support you to have that friendship. And I'd really love if we can figure out a way for you to support me supporting you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So is like, the first thing is like jealousy is actually really natural and making it wrong is where we get all of where, where we like stop being able to talk about it or stop being able to heal it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, versus it being something that like, Hey, like it, let, let it, let, let it be us versus the problem versus you versus you versus me. Yeah. I love that. I love that approach. Um, that's such a, such a healthier high level of relating than uh, what you see often, which is people use it as a weapon. They'll use the, um, the X or the, you know, the distract, whatever the distraction of the day is as a weapon to equilibrate the, the relationship in some way or to get back at or to create resentment or to create or, or to shift power or to, you know, f- feel more in control or whatever. Like you see that, um, you see that dynamic a lot as well. Um, and I find it really healthy. Like you just said, I recently started dating somebody. And one of the things I really love about her and admire about her is that we communicate um, 
those insecurities up front. And we, we before, actually, before we even communicated the insecurities, we created the intention of, hey, we're both human beings, like you just said. We both uh, have wounds. We both have insecurities. We both have, uh, we're, we're going to be attracted to other people. Like those things are going to be prevalent or, or I mean, uh, what's the right word? Relevant, I guess, maybe mm-hmm. um, in the relationship. And we want to be the type of relating, we, we want to relate in the way where we take those, those, those more sensitive areas and the other person leans in, mm-hmm. right? And so to, to create that as a intention up front before we even got into what those actually think those things actually were has been great because we've hit a few road bumps already and it's like you can feel the other person kind of leaning in. Um, whereas sometimes I've been in other relationships where you hit those road bumps and the person goes, oh, and they lean out because they sense the insecurity and that's not quote unquote attractive. And, oh, he's, you know, he's clamming up or she's, you know, withholding or whatever that becomes unattractive energy. But if we know like a general sense of human experience that those are going to happen inevitably, then we can, we can set the intention to lean in on those. Yeah. You will have rupture. You like whoever's listening, you will have rupture. You will have disconnect. You will disappoint each other. You will hurt each other's feelings. Right. Whenever my clients are like, I just don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And I was like, well, too bad. Welcome to planet earth, right? Like even if you guys were together for the rest of your lives, yeah. you're like, she's going to hurt you in ways that you never anticipated. Not because you're toxic or terrible, but because like we're humans and we, and we fuck up and we, yeah. you know, like we don't communicate when we needed to communicate or, you know, we're late to our anniversary or blah, right? Like it's just going to happen. And so for me, I really say like the measure of a relationship is in the bounce back. How do we, like, it's going to happen. So what are your agreements with yourself and, and with one another for how you're going to respond? Mm-hmm. Like, what's your, what's your response time? What's the quality of that response? That's really where, um, because like, when it's good, it's good with someone who's abusive. Mm-hmm. When it's good, it's good, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, um, that's not really where the, the, caliber of the relationship is measured it's in it's in that bounce back from what i love the term crunchy bits the crunchy parts the crunchy parts. right like it feels crunchy um got that from from a from a, an ex's best friend um that's funny and then the other thing that like i i teach and i stand by is your willingness to have courageous conversations is what's going to, is, is directly proportional to the caliber of relationship you want to have. Mm. So um, we've been, again, indoctrinated with a lot of this, like, don't be too much too soon, right? And I live by, like, it's never too early to tell the truth. It's important how you deliver that truth. But um, if, you know, like, let's say you're on your third date and here she says, so what are you looking for? Tell them everything. Tell them your big, beautiful, bold vision and invite them to decide if that's something they want to create with you or not. Mm -hmm. If it involves marriage and kids, let them know, you know, because if they don't want marriage and kids, I'll tell you right now, they're not your person. Mm -hmm. You know, if they think that's too much, like not your person, because there are people on the planet who do want marriage and kids or don't want kids or like uh, my dad's partner. She was like, I never want to get married again. And he had to examine like, am I okay? Never getting married again. Mm right? Like, and, and so your willingness to, to have those courageous community, those courageous conversations when they arise 
is really important, even if it's on the first date. I know people say, like, isn't that too soon? And I'm like, well, I don't know. When do you want to create a culture of telling each other the truth? Because hmm. I tell you, if you're withholding things in the first four months, that's not going to like radically change at five. That's why the honeymoon phase ends. The honeymoon phase ends because you have two people who sent like a, a, a character, like the most likable version of themselves, like an ambassador on dates. And then this person falls in love with that ambassador. And then the other person falls in love with the other person's ambassador. Right. They're, not, they're not actually falling in love with each other. So if you can endeavor to not send out an ambassador and really show up as yourself and honor what's true for you, what you want, how you show up, the agreements you want to have, the relationship you want to have. Um, like, I, like I mentioned that client with the toddler is like, they're still in the quote honeymoon phase. Hmm. The reason it's not a phase is because there isn't a version that fell off where they had to re-decide if they liked each other. Hmm. They're still dating the person they started dating. Yeah. And so you get like this quote, never ending honeymoon phase because the person they fell in love with is the person they're still in relationship with. That's a, that's a big takeaway. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Mind oh, blown. Shit. Um, so there's also something really sacred about diving into those, that, those truthful conversations. Cause what you're saying energetically to the other person is I bet on us. I bet on our ability to navigate something that's uncomfortable. Mm. I bet on you to not drop me. I bet on me to, to like hear you out and you're really betting on and like investing in this connection being something that can navigate stuff like that, that can, yeah. that can like see clumsiness through to a graceful ending. And that's really, really important for creating trust and safety. Yeah. Oh, I, really, I love that. Um, still good on time. Yeah. We should probably wrap up soon. Um, I wanted that's to get your, get your take real quick on pornography. Cause that's prevalent. Yeah. What is your, what is your thought on that? So place forward in a healthy monogamous relationship. A lot, a little, none at all. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's textbook. Um, I'm very sex positive, right? Like hashtag support sex workers. I think what's really important is for people to examine their relationship to it. So by and large, men in particular um, are addicted to pornography because like they got access to it at a very, very young age. Um, it's really connected to their eroticism. So I think my question would be like, can you do without it? And if you can't do without it, right? Like if, if I was like, hey, don't watch pornography for six months. And you're like, you may, have an, you may have an addictive relationship to pornography. In which case I'll ask you, well, do you want to be the kind of man who is self-mastered or not? Right? Mm -hmm. um, I know for me, I, I want to be with a man who's a master of himself. Because if he's not a master of himself, then there's something else that's the master of our relationship. Mm. I don't think pornography is, in and of itself is wrong. Um, I, I think it's to be very, I, I, let's see, I started watching porn when I was in my early 20s. And I did watch how it started to um, upload certain erotic narratives it like of like really like okay like so when you start you start in this position and then right. you do this position and then you do this position and then this person gets this person off and then this person and it was like literally like a script they, there's scripts they actually write scripts for porn right and then i think people don't realize that they think that that's how sex is and so then like everyone is going off into their own bedrooms and like literally reenacting the sexual imagination of some producer in la mm-hmm 
versus their own erotic narrative. So I think the, the first question is to really examine like what is someone's relationship to pornography and for them to get really clear of whether or not it's like tightly or um, closely related to their ability to orgasm. If they're having sex with a partner, are they fantasizing about something they've seen or some, something maybe like a scenario they've seen in porn, right? Because if that's the case, like you're not living in your own life. So there's just some, like, there's like some tangles to get undone. That said, like, um, I think like when, once pornography is like something that you can take or leave, right? Um, usually if you can take or leave it, then people don't really want to watch it as much anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, is then like, I actually think like it can be a really beautiful tool. Like you could, you could show each other something that you've seen in porn and be like, Oh, like, well, let's try this, you know, or that, Oh, this, this kind of excites me. I don't know why let's talk about it. Um, so it could actually be something that could accentuate the bedroom. I know for me, um, when I, for me, it was really liberating to let myself watch porn in my early twenties. And then I also, in my mid twenties, um, I remember, I remember I, w I was with a lover and I realized I was enacting some LA producer script in my own living room. And that felt really invasive. I was like, Oh, his erotic imagination is running my sex life, not me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what does it look like to, to act, like, what does my erotic imagination look like? And so I did no porn, no vibrator, man, I'm getting really, really, really y'all. <laughs> there's, no there's nowhere else to go. We got, yeah, I mean, right? that's all that's left. <laughs> so, um, so I was like, I'm not, no foreign influence, right? It's just yep. me, myself and my body. And when I, and, and so I committed to like, just like a month, let's say, I was like, let's see what it, and so, um, and so it started out where my, like the fantasies that I would explore looked very similar to porn I'd started watching. But after not too long, I started having fantasies that felt really uniquely my own. And they weren't like over sensationalized. Like sometimes they were really sweet or sometimes they were a little bit dark or so, right? But like it was, they were not movies that I'd seen. They were not stories that had been fed to me of like what my sexuality was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And so I think from that point, on, I really had much less of like an interest or reliance on pornography to play a role in my um, sexuality because I actually created a relationship with my own erotic narrative. Um, well, or, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you actually mentioned vibrators because that is like the, the female equivalent to the masculine porn. Um, although I know many women who watch a lot of porn, um, but it's, it's, it's an outside tool. It's a crutch. Yeah. It's a crutch. And if you need that crutch when you're actually relating with real human beings, um, they can, they can um, lower the frequency of the relating. I have yeah. found um, um, the best metaphor analogy that I've heard on porn was uh, by this guy named James Marshall. He's like a dating coach guy. And he was saying that um, porn is like fast food. He's like, it's low nutrition. He's like, look, yeah. I get it. You might be traveling. You're out in the middle of nowhere. You're hungry. You know, you're a relatively healthy person. You want to grab a burger and you go through the fast food, right? He's like, but if that's your whole diet, you're dealing with very low nutrition, very low substance, very low real depth and energy um, compared to, you know, grass-fed organic 
steak or, or home cooked. Yeah. Or plant organic spices. Yes. Mm. Right. And there's just so many other facets and multi-dimensions. And that's one of the things that I like to encourage men with is that they think that uh, pornography and or, or pornographic experience, even with a, another, you know, partner is like the epitome. And, mm. and I'm like, dude, you're just scratching the surface of what real intimacy can be like. And the sex that you actually have with deeper intimacy is way, way bigger than, than a, a, oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the LA producer's vision of what eroticism actually is. Um, and so I like to sell guys and I, cause obviously men are, are, are very sex motivated. Um, and if they just understood that there is way better sex to be had when you're develop when you're, when you've developed that deeper connection, um, uh, it's, it's like they start to clue in on, Oh, I'm missing out. There's something, there's a huge component of themselves of relating of, um, of, of ecstasy of, you know, all of that shit. Satisfaction, fulfillment, out of body experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Transcendental meditation. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Yep. And, and when you're in that space, I have found but for both a man and a woman, you're a better leader. You're a better communicator. You're, you're more grounded. You're uh, more confident. You're, um, you know, you, you have greater impact in the world. Um, it, it takes something to get there. Like you don't just show up and, and although, I mean, I think you can sometimes stumble onto a, a connection that it's like, oh shit, this is different. This is, there's something about this that I don't, that I haven't experienced before, but um, there's something way bigger that you, I have found, like you were saying, to do that deeper work, to, to, develop, to connect with yourself um, and then bring that into the relationship allows you to experience intimacy on a much bigger level, which, which sort of solidifies and embodies the growth that you've, that you've done that you then take that out into the world with your parenting, with your, you know, with your work, with your cause, whatever it is that you're, you're doing in the world. So yeah, I, I personally think it's so, it, the most important work that we can be doing because everything comes back to relationships. Either yeah. you're relating to yourself, other people, coworkers, an intimate partner, children, uh, et cetera. So. Yeah. I mean, Tony talks about it. Like he'll work with some of the most powerful wealthy people in the world. And what does he work on them with? Their relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, yep. yeah, cool, great. You have an international. Oh, you're a billionaire, awesome, and you're uh, Miserable. miserably divorced. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah it's it's huge. Um, the one other thing I was going to say too, I think about the when you're saying like people, when you are able to actually create like your own sexuality versus having it like fed to you or like sort of like brainwashed into you is um, I like for me, the more that I reclaimed that um, and I'm going to get a little woo on your audience, but like the more I felt connected to a higher power and it's like in, in those moments of, of like conscious intimacy, I'm like, Oh, this is God, you know, like this is, yeah, this is like life at its, and it's just like truest, rawest. Uh, to me, it's the highest manifestation of spiritual connectedness. I mean, some people would argue that drugs might have a, have a different, um, you know, level or whatever, but, um, 
sober, I think it's one of the highest expressions of, of spiritual manifestation of the mm. man and the woman, masculine and feminine coming together, which to me is divine. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> That feels like a pretty good place to wrap this up. Tiara, you've been awesome. I appreciate your, your insight and your wisdom, your energy, and uh, the work that you're doing. I do think it's crucial and important right now, especially given that we're all sitting here isolated. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you too, obviously. Um, so uh, much appreciated. You're awesome. Oh, uh, I should ask, if somebody's interested in, in working with you or following up with you, where can they go? Oh, yeah. Probably the easiest place to find me right now is um, Instagram, trulychosen.co. So my company is Truly Chosen. Truly Chosen Relationships <laughs> and Feeling Truly Chosen. Um, Great name, and, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And then the one other thing that I was going to say, um, are you open to me giving your audience a freebie? Please. So um, everyone's stuck at home and I put together my book list of, I think the most important books people need to read before they get into their next relationship or if they're craving deeper intimacy and connection in their current relationship. And you just go to relationshipbooklist.com and you can download a free like recommended reading guide. And I know all y'all have all the time in the world because you're stuck at home. (laughs) There's no reason not to do your homework. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So go to relationshipbooklist.com and you can get a free recommended reading guide. Awesome. Fiora, thanks again. My pleasure. All right. Take care.